0: Hi everyone. Welcome to Sema, a program which invites an expert each week to discuss a topic from their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Dr. Ellen Kami to talk about herbs and their importance to good health. Ellen is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and is nationally board certified as an advanced holistic nurse. She is the author of many books including Cycles of Life: Herbs for Women. The Natural Medicine Chest and Arthritis, and the Alternative Medicine Definition Guide. She hosts radio shows daily, including on Gary Knowles' Progressive Radio Network, and is regularly quoted in numerous mainstream media, including Marie Claire, Globe, Latina, Self, Woman's World Prevention, Cosmopolitan, and Glamour. Ellen is on the peer review editorial board of several journals, organizations, including Alternative Therapies in Health and Medicine, Natural Medicine Journal, Natural Standard Database. Ellen, it's fantastic to have you with us. Welcome to SAMA.
1: Thank you, nice to be here.
0: Now you've been involved with herbs and the study of herbs for a long time.
1: It's going to be a long
0: time, over 50 years. <laughs> How did it all start? Why did you decide to study hers?
1: Well, what happened was I had a personal accident. This is what a lot of people's story actually is similar. Yes. I was teaching horseback riding Yes. and I fell off a horse. He's oh. actually an excellent rider. This was on a jump. Yes. And I fell off the horse and got very severely injured. Right. And when I went to the doctor, they said I was going to need surgery if I ever wanted to walk again,
0: good gracious!
1: But in my inner voice, I I just did not believe that at all. Mm, no. So for those of your listeners who are old like me, there used <laughs> to be something called, and I don't know what country you're from, but we had in the U.S. something called a card catalog in the library. Do you remember those? Like it was. Uh, my grandfather
0: told me about those. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: So you pull out this drawer and it was great. I'm so sorry they're gone. Much better than a computer because it never broke. It was always there. So you pulled out the drawer and looked through it. And I went to look at that time for what could I do for a hurt back.
0: Right. And
1: I found so much. I found so many herbs, vitamins, food. I found out about Edgar Casey, and I started reading all the remedies he talked about, like the Edgar Casey castor oil pack, as well as magnesium, and an herb called oat straw, and all different kinds of things, one called horsetail grass, which is very high in silica, and I actually wanted to try all these things. I asked the doctor, should I try these things? And he said, no,
0: absolutely just not. just
1: old wives' tales. Mm. So I said, I'm going to try them anyway, because that's how I am. I do what I want all the time. <laughs> so I tried them anyway. Mm. And at the time, my, my dad helped me. My dad still helps me. You know, he's deep in his 90s. And uh, he actually, at that time, had to write checks, and we had to mail them to the Edgar Casey Institute to get castor oil, to various health food store, because they weren't on every corner, they were all in California. Uh-huh. So I had to get horsetail grass and magnesium and all the things I read about. Ginger pack, we tried taking ginger and grinding it up and <laughs> warming it up a little bit and putting it on the area. Well, lo and behold, every single thing I tried, made it feel better. And when I went back to the surgeon to schedule the surgery, I got up, no more in a wheelchair, which he said I would be in for life, and walked into his office. And I had written down every single thing I did. I thought, he's gonna be so excited to find out that these things really do work, Mm. and that he's going to use them on all his other patients so that many less people will require surgery. Well, being a surgeon, obviously, that actually does not make him too happy. Uh-huh. And I showed him the whole list of what I did. He looked at them. He, he put his glasses on like this, you know, way down his nose. And he held the paper far away and said, uh, none of those things really worked. I said, well, doctor, I won't mention his name. He's no longer on the planet. Um, how come I am so much better now if I did all this and now I'm walking into your office and I no longer need surgery? So how do you explain that? And he said, and they say this to this day, he said, well, sometimes there's just a a remission. We don't know why. Sometimes people just get better. We can't document that it has anything to do with all these silly folkloric remedies that you did. I said, okay, doctor, have a nice day. I left, no surgery, didn't have to see him anymore. I still had pain. In fact, I had pain, um, I would say forever, I still to this day have just a little bit of pain. It's something that keeps me in check. Like if I get off my program too far or get too stressed out or do too much work, I am a workaholic, then it'll still hurt me in one little spot. So I have felt that it's been great to have that because it's been my my modifying agent that allows me to you know stay on track. But nonetheless, it was really a gift. So because so many things that we think are negative that happen to us in our life are truly a gift because when we look at it, it gave me my profession it gave me my path i didn't know the word dharma in those days but i do now it actually sent me on my dharmic path which is the correct path for someone to follow if they want to feel totally fulfilled what they should do in life so that was the story of how i got started
0: that's a very interesting story it's um you've turned what could have been a calamity through an opportunity. And That's a good way to put it. And, and he took it. It's a, it's a shame that doctors have that view, but I wonder how long they can keep on ignoring the blue whale and the goldfish bowl. Because the <sighs> uh, I,
1: I think the jig is almost up because anyone, any of our viewers tonight or anyone anywhere in the world can actually go to Pub Meds. And that is a free site, P-U-B-M-E-D, Google it, that has every single study that's been done on anything. And so if you put in any herb, you will find all this very deep evidence-based data, not only on the fact that the herb has a measurable effect, but now we're going so much more deep than we could have with the shamanic healers of old, many of whom I have studied with all around the world, because now we have ways to actually investigate mechanism of action. So not only do we know that herbs do work, we also now understand how they work and we're able to measure adverse effect, herb-drug interactions. So now any doctor who says it is not science-based is showing his or her deep ignorance. So that's very different than back then, when I was starting, because the evidence wasn't yet all accumulated. Now it is.
0: (laughs) But of course you can't make much money from herbs, can you?
1: Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't say that's the
0: the case. No, the thing is, um, if they can patent a drug which is modeled around the active molecule, of a herb, but that's like um, zero, zeroing down on one aspect of a herb. But there may be other micro nutrients or micro compounds within the herb which complement the other. So it's still um, not not the best approach. Besides, herbs aren't expensive, and you can grow herbs in your own garden. And um, before the summer started, I mentioned how I, as a child I grew, I got, I got a, a small mint plant and I planted that in a garden and it became a, almost like a mint tree. <laughs> Definitely a mint bush. It took over the place. I was yeah. very, very happy. So mint, uh, sorry, mint, herbs. Um, many people know them as flavouring agents, if you wish, for cooking. Now, when you cook with herbs, does that destroy its, um, its nutritional value? Does it, does it um, destroy any of the medicinal ingredients?
1: No, in many cases, it actually brings out to the medicinal aspects. In fact, when we prepare herbs to use them as medicine, you are absolutely correct. Herbs can be used many ways. They can be used as spices to enhance the flavor of food, yes. And also that word herbs is a huge umbrella. It can refer to really a lot of different parts of the plant. It can be used to describe flavoring agents like you're talking about spices and culinary purpose to use them, which is very valid. Mm -hmm. And very often using herbs that way does not at all destroy the medicinal value. For instance, an herb that's very hot right now is turmeric. So it's that yellow spice that makes curry yellow. So if you look at the use of turmeric throughout the ages, throughout India and other parts of Asia, how they do it is they take warm oil, they throw in black peppercorns, and then they wait till the peppercorns pop. Have you ever seen that, done?
0: No, I haven't.
1: And then... Yeah, so it's very typical. That's a typical way of using it.
0: Okay. They,
1: didn't, they didn't read any herb book about it. They spoke to their grandma. So yes. then they put in the turmeric and stir it, and then they'll add in other compounds. Wow. That's how they make different curries. Like there'll be a malunga curry and a this curry, depending on if they use basil or... But anyway, so now when we do through scientific inquiry, study the activities, the broad base of healing activities of turmeric, we find that when it is used along with the active ingredients in black pepper, it actually enhances its absorption and enhances its healing aspects. So the ancient traditional use was always right long before it could be scientifically validated.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: But in India, is the incidence... Now, turmeric is, um, as you say, it's a hot herb at the moment, no pun intended, uh, for cancer treatment. But I'm not aware of any reduced incidence of cancer in India, where turmeric is added in most meals. Like I didn't one.
1: hear your question. You don't know if there's uh, less well, cancer?
0: Less ca- yes, less cancer in India, it seems and like. That,
1: I, I have no idea if there is either, but that's not something I would use it for. I would use turmeric in terms of medicine. I would use it for inflammation.
0: Okay.
1: And inflammation is linked to a wide variety of disease processes. So right. a, we don't really use herbal medicine on a one-to-one level for any disease. As a matter of fact, if you say you are doing that, um, the FDA can come after you. So we don't like to use that kind of language, and yet we look at the scientific mechanism, and we get very, very good results with herbs, especially for things that are not life-threatening. I really think that if people wait until they get a life-threatening illness to try natural remedies, to suddenly heal it, yeah. it's just the wrong time. You know, you really want to do this as a lifestyle to maintain health and wellness. And I would have to go online and look up, and maybe someone can, um, about the incidence, if you did want to speak about a particular cancer, of India versus the U.S., and so I don't have that at my fingertips to evaluate the difference in cancer rate between the two countries. My right. guess is it would be higher in the US, but that's just a wild guess. Oh. So anyone watching, you know, since I can't Google right now, I'm here doing this, <laughs> uh, we, could, we could find out. I, I don't actually know that. Thank I do know that pretty much every degenerative disease rate like autoimmune disease, for instance, all kinds of autoimmune diseases. I gave a lecture on autoimmune three days ago, so therefore I have that data right up front. Autoimmune disease is something like 10 times higher in developed countries than in less developed countries.
0: Gosh, that's strange.
1: So I don't know about cancer. You have to look it up.
0: Must be all the refined foods that we have and the... the so-called advanced countries?
1: (laughs) Well, the advanced countries have, for the most part, a diet that is called SAD, which is the standard American diet. And the standard American diet is, uh, you know, very, very poor. It's full of processed food, heated vegetable (laughs) oils, which are trans fats. Uh, that definitely promulgate all kinds of disease processes, as well as the wrong kind of microbiome, which are the microorganisms that inhabit the digestive tract. And they are totally the wrong species when you are eating fried foods, trans fats, processed foods, which is the SAD, the standard American diet.
0: It's um, interesting us talking about the, um, the modern societies and the not-so-modern countries or advanced countries. I've, you know, I've been to both, and the advanced countries are the people that are busy rushing between meetings or going home from work, and in the cars they are on the horns, can't get through these traffic jams, whereas in poorly, allegedly poorly developed countries, they're the people that just walk home or they're sitting down playing cards and talking to their friends and and socialising. They're the countries that also haven't lost touch with ancient knowledge of which herbs will be one. So i really got a question whether, whether we're using the wrong yardstick for determining which countries are advanced and which ones are not advanced. It's, in your opinion, the knowledge of herbs, has that largely been forgotten in modern society?
1: <laughs> so, so that's a really good question. And the answer is yes and no. Okay. Certainly in the United States, the answer is yes. Mm. Um, very few people had that knowledge passed down through their family, even historically. However, they did until really recently ago. And we know the exact history of how the knowledge of herbal medicine was purposefully and politically removed and i've written many many books as you mentioned so this one is called the natural medicine chest and in this book i have an entire chapter of the history of natural medicine which names names such as the flexner report such as the rockefeller institute such as the development of the AMA, which is the American Medical Association, and how there was a perfectly crafted political agenda where they went around to many different medical schools, and this was right at the turn of the century, not this turn of the century, we just went into 2000, right? But back at the other century, when we're going into the 1900s, and really, further in after World War II, which isn't that long ago. That's when this entire movement came that went to different medical schools and said, gee, would you like some money? And what did the medical school say? No? Or did they say yes? <laughs> so yeah, they I, said yes. I, I, so, okay, to get this money as a medical school, this is what you have to do. Get rid of all what they call the irregulars. Those were people who were still using herbal medicine, homeopathy, food, water healing, all the things that really work and have worked for centuries and were actually quite well documented in the medical literature of the time. And they said, you have to get rid of all of that. Do not teach any of that. The only thing you will now teach is two things and two things only. And that is pharmacy and surgery. That's it. All the previous knowledge had to literally be expunged from the medical school curriculum. So that is why here in the United States, there is such a limit in terms of medical professionals about the traditional use of herbal medicine and other natural healing modalities. And then through things like consumer control, and commercials on TV and all of that, they really did move, remove that knowledge that people had been passing down from generation to generation. So it didn't just happen, it was politically maneuvered to happen.
0: Right, you found a Pandora's box in the library. Um, do you think that some knowledge has been truly lost?
1: Of course. And that's another reason that I have spent a good part of my life traveling and living with indigenous healers in various areas of the world. And they have actually shared knowledge with me. And I didn't write it down behind their back. They asked me because some people say, oh, well, if you write down ancient healers knowledge, then that's called appropriation and that that's not what you're supposed to be doing. But truthfully, the healers I personally met with, which were from many different uh, civilizations really, such as Mayan civilizations and the Bush doctors of Northern Jamaica, and uh, Costa Rican healers. And a lot of it is Spanish speaking, since I'm Spanish speaking, so I could speak to them directly. Although the Mayan healers, I don't know Mayan, but I would, and the people I met were quite elderly. They spoke only Mayan.
0: Wow. But I
1: met people my age who spoke Mayan and Spanish, and they would go with me and translate. And I wrote all these things down and published it with their permission and blessing in my books. And that's fantastic because these people who are now on the other side that knowledge, that vast encyclopedia of knowledge would have been lost. And I'm sure a lot of it has been lost.
0: That must have been an amazing life experience for you. I, I wouldn't
1: say was, I would say is. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's been to me, an amazing life experience.
0: Wow. So you'd have been living amongst them, living in their houses and living as a Mayan for for several weeks. Is that how yes
1: and several years
0: several wow. years wow yes,
1: i lived in uh, mexico in a palapa which is like a grass house yes with a, you know just a little teeny um, hammock that no 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 floor dirt floor right no running water i lived there for about 2 years studying with a particular healer who taught me so much about the use of intention intention and consciousness and plant communication. So if you go up to the same plant and she taught me this, if you went up to a plant, a particular plant, and you grab the bark and pull it down, and you do that in the morning, that would act as a laxative. And if you went to that same plant and pulled the bark up in the evening, that would act as an emetic. An emetic, for those of you who don't know, would make you throw up if you ate something poison and you have to get it out of your system. We use things like that even in modern, mainstream, conventional medicine. Remember, I am a nurse. So it was amazing to find out after you picked those things and then tried them that they were right. And they said it was because you communicated with the plant and you interacted with the energy at the right time of day, with the sun and the moon. Now, I wouldn't poo-poo that, but now, because I also have access to natural products laboratory where we can actually do chemistry and look at the chemical components within the plants, we find that not only were the natives correct, but you can document the mechanism of action. And the fact is that the plant in the morning has different chemicals that you're getting when you pull the bark than in the evening, just because of the general metabolic processes that, that go on. And perhaps the native people could not explain that like we could now from a molecular biochemistry point of view, but yet they were right. One big thing I have found out, and I challenge any of our listeners about this, I've never been able to find an old-fashioned folkloric remedy that does not work. We might not have the explanation or the understanding because nobody paid for the study or the mechanism of action, but nothing tends to become a folkloric remedy or an old wives' tale or old man's tale or any of those things. Happens to be women more often, although men are involved in that lineage at times but I don't ever find it to be incorrect. It just might not yet be validated scientifically because would it become a story? If your great grandmother went and pulled a plant and gave it to somebody and they ate it and they dropped dead or they got a terrible rash or they couldn't breathe, would the villagers then tell them, oh yeah, everybody should eat this plant all the time? No, so it doesn't become a folkloric <laughs> remedy.
0: Yeah. In today's modern world, <clears throat> we have uh, the internet. And um, if you read it on the, if it's on the internet, it must be true, right? That's kind of That's like... Exactly.
1: A <laughs> That's a problem.
0: That is a but problem. very
1: often I get all kinds of things, even with herbal medicine, that are actually very dangerous that were not things that we use that way folklorically, but someone who calls themselves an herbalist right now, who studied for about five minutes or a weekend, right? Mm-hmm. I've been doing this since 1964, that's with a six. Yeah. And you know, someone <laughs> takes a little, I don't know what, online course, and yeah. they call themselves an herbalist, yeah. and they're giving out very, very dangerous information. They have no understanding about the chemistry of herbs, the interaction in the body or a much more modern concern, which did not exist in the old days, which is herb drug interactions. We didn't have herb drug interactions because no one was using both of those because the pharmaceuticals didn't exist. Right. But now it's truly a concern.
0: Mm. Now the study of herbs, um, and homeopathy, essential oils, and aromatherapy. How do they all connect? Herbs can be used, for example, with aromatherapy, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So all of those things can be used together. And in holistic medicine and in holistic protocols, we always use a combination of therapeutics. So we might use beige flower remedies. We call them Bach here in the U.S., but in the U.K. they call them Beige. And those are remedies made out of flowers through soaking the flowers in water and then taking the flower out and adding a little bit of brandy as a preservative. And what those do is help balance emotions. And I always find those are a really good place to start because they don't have any kind of adverse effects. You can use them along with pharmaceuticals, as well as, like you said, herbs, aromatherapy oils. Most people who do natural medicine use all of the above, and they're quite compatible with each other in most cases. Right. And support each other.
0: If you go out into a a field, just a, a playing field somewhere, And you look around, will herbs be present? Is there a good likelihood that herbs will be in this random places like that?
1: Well, let's put it this way. If you're anywhere, there's plants there, right? Yes. And those plants have a variety of constituents and uses. Now, some of those plants, if the person is knowledgeable in that area, Mm -hmm. can be used for food and can be used for medicine and one thing you can be sure of is if humans lived in that area before there was the downtown grocery store like here where i am in florida it's Publix, right i don't know what it is where you are but if there were people living there before the grocery stores were there that means for sure you can be certain there are edible plants and probably also medicinal plants but there's also probably a lot of highly poisonous plants. So you do need to know what you're doing before you just go outside and, you know, eat every single thing that you come across.
0: Right. So a herb is a plant that has medicinal use. Is that the definition of a herb?
1: Yeah, you know, that's mm, maybe because there's other botanical, there's botanical definitions that are scientifically validated. And in that case, the part of a plant that might be called an herb would usually be the top of the plant, the aerial parts. That would be called herb, like the leaves. However, if we're talking about the medicinal component of various plants, Mm. many different plant parts might be herbs. For instance, one that many of your viewers might have heard of is ginseng right ginseng chinese ginseng that's a pretty good tonic for almost everyone there's different kinds of ginseng and varieties etc but the part of the plant of the ginseng that you use is not the top of the leaves so much as it is the root But there are many, many plants where the medicinal components are the roots. Now, in that case, the word herb would also be referring to the use of the root, not only the herbaceous herbal part of the plant. So it's a little bit confusing and not necessarily cut and dry.
0: Okay. It's probably not really important, is it? It's it's just um, pedantics, just the terminology used. Now, since the 1920s, herbs have been, in, in your words, actively pushed out of mainstream medicine.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I see it slowly creeping back. Um, do, you, do you ever see a time in the near future where herbs will play a large part in regular treatment?
1: Well, I really love that question and I can say I hope so. There's a dynamic going on, sort of a push-me-pull-you. Like you said, people are voting with their dollars and their actions when they run out of options and are not getting well using conventional pharmaceuticals, which can be useful in life-saving when used correctly at the right time, but they do very little for ongoing kinds of degenerative illnesses. They really usually make people much worse. You have to use higher doses. They interact with each other. Um, You know, they might bring your blood pressure down, but they cause you to have muscle weakness, you know, all kinds of adverse effects. So people are voting with their dollars, and like you said, really going back into the use of natural remedies like herbs and If you look at the herbal industry and when I say the industry that's involved in growing medicinal plants purposefully, selling them to the nutraceutical industry and the nutraceutical industry itself, which are putting herbs, let's say in pills and bottles and selling those, that is the natural products industry. The natural products industry here in the U.S., when they have their conference, 70,000 people attend and it is growing at a rate of where it is the sixth most active growth business in the United States. So that's pretty massive. We're talking about a huge, huge business. Now to answer your other question about will it become more integrated into mainstream like we see for instance in China In the regular hospitals in China, they will combine the use of conventional pharmaceuticals along with the use of herbal medicine. And what they get is measurable, very often, better outcomes and definitely at a much, much, much lower cost. And the cost factor I really do hope might push things to where in conventional medicine, this is what's true about herbs, as a first line standard of practice. They are often just as efficacious as a similar pharmaceutical. That means they work just as well. They are usually much, much safer. I mean by a realm of thousands of percent safer in terms of both the incidence and severity of adverse effects like you might get a rash and a stomach ache with the pharmaceutical drug you might get liver and kidney damage and die you know that kind of difference in terms of safety and then we're looking at let's say cost so the cost is much much less with herbal medicine to treat an individual than it is with pharmacy which is Huge, just this huge cost. So, between the evidence that is now available that wasn't available previously, and when we look at the traditional use for thousands of years with this fantastic safety versus efficacy profile, along with the cost savings, I think as a healthcare professional that it should be first line. That it should be standard of practice. That yeah. it should be completely integrated with every protocol. And we can, of course, move on to the more dangerous and stronger, in effect, pharmaceuticals and surgery, of course, when needed.
0: Right. <clears throat> it's surprising. I like drugs are artificial. They're man-made, and so there's, you know, how how can we compete with nature, who's had You know, she's had billions of years to to create these these natural products that, you know, do the job. Why why should they, why should they, why should we compete (laughs) rather than work with it? Seems unusual.
1: Well, you know what they say, it's unfortunate, but with so many things with humans, if you want the why answer, you follow the money. That seems to be the main focus, especially of, you know, big business. It is the main focus. It has nothing to do with safety or efficacy or health or general health and wellness. It only has to do with high-level sales for that industry.
0: I've noticed that um, reports of deaths through um, overdosing of uh, Panadol, paracetamol, and, uh, you know, they, they, those aren't really reported, but you get one death from a supplement and it makes international headline news. Yeah, I've, never that's figured, I've, I've never figured that one out. And there's a big um, push... never for,
1: figured that out? It's the same figuring out. It's oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of being a bit slow. The um, St. John's Wort, for example, it's a herb... Um, Is it a herb? It is a herb, isn't it? It's used for depression uh, generally, but it's given a really bad rapport by mainstream medicine. um, No,
1: it isn't. It actually has phenomenal evidence behind it. Anyone can go to PubMed and put in St. John's Wort for depression. I may even have a study right here. I have some studies right here. This one happens to be on echinacea, but you can just print out studies Uh, about 10, like this much, a pile on St. John's wort, it is fantastically effective. It is as effective as many of the pharmaceuticals such as Xanax at a fraction of the cost and with better efficacy. The thing is, St. John's wort is one herb that also at the same time has a very high incidence of herb-drug interaction. Yes. So you do need to know what you're doing when you take it. Yes. So everyone should Google St. John's wort and look at the flower. It's an absolutely gorgeous flower that looks like a little yellow sun. <laughs> and who actually developed the medicinal use of that were the ancient druids and the Celtics, because wow. they, if they gathered that little yellow flower when it was blooming, which it blooms right around the summer solstice, which they were very tuned into the cycles of the plants, and that if they kept those little flowers and dried them and then made tea out of them in the winter, because think about that, what kind of, not like here in Florida, I can't do those winters, not for me, no thanks, but when you're in that that uh, kind of climate like, the, like, like those people were, it's very dark in the winter, and they would drink tea from it, and they felt that the little flowers were solidified sunshine that brought light back into their being. Well, sure enough, when we look at the double-blind placebo-controlled studies uh, now in literature about St. John's work, it's spectacularly effective for SAD, seasonal affective disorder, yes. which is due to a lack of sunlight. So once again, the historic folkloric use is very well verified by the conventional use and by the studies and the mechanism of action. Now I will throw in the caveat about the possibility of drug herb interaction with St. John's Wort. One that can actually be dangerous is for people who have had organ transplants, like a liver transplant or a kidney transplant Right. You have to be on these drugs that are very strong, that are immunosuppressant drugs in order to stay alive once you've had that transplant. Right. Well, St. John's Ward does interfere with the action of those drugs okay. and may actually cause the death of someone because those drugs would no longer be working well. But right. that's a very small portion. Another drug that there's less evidence about this one, but there's a few incidences, these are somewhat theoretical, of young women who are using birth control pills yes. and then took St. John's wort, that it made the birth control pill work less effectively, which might lead to an unwanted pregnancy. So there are specific drugs that we do need to be careful about. But on the other hand, St. John's wort is such a useful herb particularly in mild depression, particularly in seasonal affective disorder, depression, with a much, much lower adverse effect profile than similar pharmaceuticals that might be used in those cases.
0: Wow, interesting. Just before I ask you the next question, I had to laugh a little bit to myself, of course, because I've got to be professional on this show. When you said that you don't do the winters in the UK the, the, no, <laughs> but, but I was thinking just just early on in the salmon that you were as hard as nails living two years in the Mayan jungles. my bubble, by stating you don't do cold right. I, I can I can actually relate to that because I don't do cold myself either. We're going through it now now in China. It's, it's it, it plummets the temperature very quickly and I feel it. <laughs> so do you have any? Um, Herbs, which are your favourites, ones which you feel very close to, because you've had a lot of um, experience with them, or their uh, what they do is quite amazing. Have you got any stories you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, so so there's, you know that's a lot, right? I've written fifteen books about herbs. So, <laughs> um, that's a, that's a big question, but uh, so basically, when you asked me, something popped into my head, so I will share that because this is an herb with very, very low adverse effect profile. Yes. So almost anyone can use it. It's excellent. And what it does is it downplays the effect of stress on your body. And I have yet to found the person who doesn't have stress in their life. Even if they're just living in a little village, they have some other kind of stress or living in the high tech lifestyle. They have the stress that you talked about sitting in traffic jams, whatever it is. There is an herb called rhodiola, that's R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A, rhodiola. And rhodiola is actually a very small plant, it's a succulent, and it grows in the cold because it grows in Siberia. And in the areas of the world where it naturally grows, people say that people who use rhodiola live to over a hundred years. And there's quite a bit of scientific data on Rhodiola's mechanism of action and how it supports so many different systems in the body. So it's called a word that's in herbal medicine, we have our own language, right? And there's, there are certain herbs that are called adaptogens, And that's an interesting word because it means that it allows your body to adapt whatever is going on, what you need to bring it into balance. So it's not an herb that you use just as a medicine for a specific symptom or problem. There are other herbs that you do that with, but rhodiola is something really everyone, in my opinion, can use it. And it's not even only when you're older, but certainly by 50. Most people should be taking rhodogola every day because it helps to dampen so many um, molecular breakdowns that start to happen. So it helps you sleep better. It helps you breathe better. It helps with appetite control. uh, It helps with the skin. It's a really strong skin support herb. and It helps collagen be developed. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing plant. So Rhodiola is one that I would have to say is one of my favorites.
0: It's even got a beautiful name, hasn't it? How wasn't that one in the mainstream? It, it it sounds so so marvelous.
1: I would say it is. It is. It's big time. If anyone goes ahead and Googles it, you'll you know, it's definitely widely, widely available.
0: Where herbs grow I guess would be important as well because they need the nutrients in the soil. With the commercialization of herbs, is there a corresponding reduction in the effectiveness of the herb? You know,
1: that is a good question. And I'll tell you that as herbs have become more popular in modern times, that's another question it is a double edged sword in terms of the answer because there's something called standardization in herbal language and what standardization means is that you measure the herb for the active constituents okay and within the herbal community there is different beliefs about whether standardized herbs are better to use or holistically balanced, which would be the whole herb, not necessarily concentrating on one active or another, which one is better? Well, I think they're both good, They either one, but the one of the benefits of the rise of the concept of standardization is that when we're using an herb as in a medicinal way, that we can measure and be sure that whichever one we are using, is has the same amount of the active constituents. So in that way, the commercialization has actually improved the ability of the effects of herbs. But like you said, yeah, if you are growing a plant, although it has a signature pattern in it, let's say a dandelion, which is another one of my favorite herbs, because I give a lot of classes in outside identification where we go outside, we gather plants right in your yard or in the facility we're at, and we make them into medicine, so I teach a lot of classes in that. And I really love to teach dandelion because it appears in so many places of the world. It's very easy to identify, and there's no poisonous look-alikes, so it's a real good plant to use as one of the first plants that you're going to go and gather and use medicinally. So that's another one of my favorite plants. And of course, dandelion has a particular array of molecules all the time, that's a signature of that plant. However, to your point, and you are correct, that one year it doesn't rain, and the next year it rains a lot, and one year the sun's out a lot, the other year it's really cloudy. Mm -hmm. Of course, the chemical constituents might vary in concentration between those it's growing in a sandy soil. It's growing in a loamy soil. All those are going to affect the, these constituents. And that's what, something that the people who think pharmaceuticals are much better than herbs, that's one of their points. And it is true that the pharmaceutical um, is going to be more or less the same each time, since so it's, it's manufactured and not grown. So that is true. <laughs>
0: We've talked about these studies of herbs and how PubMed is has a smallest board of information of any herb you may wish to mention, but are there any herbs that we still don't know how oh, yeah. they heal? Are there any still mystery there must be mysteries out there, surely?
1: Yeah, okay. I would say <laughs> probably that's actually true more often than not.
0: Really? So,
1: Yeah, because in terms of the studies themselves, because how does a study get done? Does a study just get done because it's the day and the sun came out and, and, you know, something you experience as God is around? No. The way a study gets done is somebody's got to pay money for that study, right? Right. Unless they have their own laboratory and they're a millionaire and they feel like finding out. Other than that, Mm -hmm. studies are done because somebody decides we want to know and it takes you know, a scientific method to do it. It takes collection. It takes extraction Extraction uh, techniques. It takes laboratory equipment. There's a lot of wonderful natural pharmacy laboratories around the world who are doing these studies. A lot of them are in China. In fact, most of them are in China. That's where most of the herbal research is done. Another big place that does it is Germany because they have continued to use herbs as pharmaceuticals with really no break historically. And they're very into measuring components and doing scientific studies. So unless someone decides to study a specific herb, um, then it hasn't been studied. That doesn't mean it hasn't been used traditionally for many thousands of years.
0: That's true. And I guess that a lot of the herbs that have been studied meticulously were the ones that have got are their active ingredients turned into drugs? Or that they... is
1: true too. That's right. They'll take out that one active. Let's talk about one. Meadow sweet and white willow bark. They both have an active constituent in them, which is salicin. And salicin can be extracted and then made into salicylic acid. And what is salicylic acid? That is aspirin. Exactly. And so the thing is, which is really interesting though, if you were to use white willow bark, which just means find a willow tree, strip the bark off it, that's it. This is not uh, rocket science. Put the bark in a cup, add hot water, let it sit there, and then drink it, you're actually getting some salicylic acid and it has a pretty nice effect. And has been studied, that one, if you look online, for lower back pain and other things. But what's so amazing, is that aspirin which can be quite effective and useful, but aspirin has a very bad side effect and actually kills thousands and thousands of people a year. And how it does that is by causing severe gastrointestinal bleeding, which cannot always be stopped, even if you get to the emergency room in time. Mm. And that kills people. So while it's an effective painkiller, it has this effect of basically punching holes in your gastrointestinal tract. Now, white willow doesn't do that. White willow contains the salicylic acid. It won't work as quickly or as strongly as the isolate of an aspirin, but it has companion molecules put in there by, whoever you wanna think put it there, chance, God, mother nature, your guess is as good as mine, I'll guess God, whatever, you know, higher, essences might be with, within us and within our plants because it has this exact molecule which are called demulsants and demulsants are soothing and healing so while it does have that same acid in it which acts as a pain modulator it also has something that soothes the gastrointestinal tract so you're less likely to have that negative side effect. In fact, I don't think any has been found with white willow bark in terms of actually punching holes in gastric bleeding.
0: So, in our efforts know, to advance <laughs> something which is natural, we've actually gone backwards, haven't we?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if it's going backwards or it's basically, you know, it's an ongoing cycle. Yeah. And, and there's different manifestations of this cycle, and then. Of course, you know some people think that there's no linear time, and that all of these cycles are intertwined and happening simultaneously. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that I have always found herbs to be extremely effective, extremely safe, and along with homeopathy, which I use a lot, both for myself, my clients, my family, and I use them kind of committantly with herbal medicine. And the FDA is right now going after homeopathy to make it less available to the public as we speak um, yep. because people might use that and then not use a pharmaceutical, right? So you don't want right. that, hmm. interferes with cells. So all of those are going on concomitantly. And I do hope, I like to look on the bright side, I'm an optimist, that these natural, effective, less deadly, remedies, more cost effective, will become more and more the standard of practice in Western medicine, as they have been throughout human history in all traditional medicine everywhere in the world.
0: I can't think of any negatives, why people should not use herbs to self-heal or to be healed. I can't well, as
1: long as, they, as long as they do check into the drug interactions, if they're already on pharmaceuticals, yeah. as long as they understand their own sensitivities, like echinacea, that's another favorite herb of mine. It's extremely okay. useful for supporting the immune system. But yeah. echinacea, um, if somebody has a, an allergy to the daisy, to daisies, like they sneeze all the time when daisies okay. are blooming, you know, the Echinacea might not be the best choice. It's not uh, going to kill them, no. but it, they may get a runny nose and sneezy from it.
0: Yes, yes. Now, um, you've said that, the you know, herbs have been used for a long time. How far back, um, you know, do we have to go to find the first usage of herbs? Do we know when herbs... Well,
1: you, you, can go, you can go back. Uh, an excellent book is Clan of the Cave Bear where an anthropologist documented the use of herbs by neanderthals okay but, but even um more recently there's wow. a very famous mummy called ortzi o-r-d-i uh, and he was found in the alps just recently it's called the iceman it's the oldest total perfect mummy that has ever been found and it was found in the swiss alps right in between Um, Switzerland and Italy, and they're still fighting about who owns them anyway, whatever. Humans always have to fight. But in his medicine pouch, they found specific herbs. And that's a a mummy that's, I don't know, documented to be over 5,000 years old. So long time since humans have existed. And animals also use herbs. So really throughout history.
0: That's right, they do, don't they? Cats, I've seen cats become herbivores <laughs> when they're not feeling well.
1: Yeah, usually when they're not feeling well, right. And, and also higher mammals such as um, apes and monkeys, they will eat particular plants. And when that has been studied, it was found that they will use a plant that actually is medicinal for what they have. Like if they got an upset stomach kind of condition, they would yes. eat plants that we now know would be used for that. So yes, it's called the uh, instinctual dowsing that, that animals do and humans do also have that capability.
0: Well, I, was, I, I, I immediately wondered when you when you mentioned that, and I wonder whether we do have that instinctive ability now that it's been drummed out of us through formal education.
1: Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Where, where, where our imagination is forced Out from ourselves, and we've we've just become reservoirs of knowledge. And um, I just, yeah, no, I I, I really enjoy your story. I I love how, through adversity, through um, what could have been a very bad and dark time in your life, you've come through and you've shown you're not quite as hard as I thought you were. Well, you don't do coldness? No. Okay, everyone's got their heart, heel, right? And, and I can I don't rel- relate to your fear of cold as well. But it's, it, what you've done is really remarkable. And what you're doing now is equally remarkable, which is um, making sure that this knowledge doesn't die. In fact, if you hadn't written those books, maybe in the next generation, that knowledge would be gone, especially in the... That's, that's the
1: yeah, and I I I say everyone should do that. If you have elderly relatives still alive, you should ask them what were they given, even for like a stomach ache and a runny nose, and write it down. Because when they pass away, it's gone.
0: It's gone. That's right. Yeah, commit it to paper. Yeah. So it doesn't get doesn't get lost. That's yeah. There's there's a there's a deep wisdom in that. And I, I really hope that we don't lose. What was known before. I also hope that the current um, medical system is transient, (laughs) and we rely more on the herbs, on things that you can grow in the garden. Gosh, and um, these these plants, things like dandelions, they want to grow. They're hard to get rid of. You ask a gardener; (laughs) they're hardy plants, aren't they? They're very very tough. They
1: are. They are. That is true. And, and many of the plants that are stronger tend to be those adaptogenic pan- plants that give us strength.
0: Do you have any story to share with us just before we leave? Because we've just hit the, hit the button now. But I really would love to hear a story of someone that you've treated through herbs. And well, um, you
1: know, there's no, there's really many thousands of people, but I think we're kind of at the end, so... You know, just thousands of people. Thousands have
0: of helped. Yeah, thousands. I've been doing this a so long time. <laughs> um, Dr. Ellen Covey, thank you so much for your time on SAMA. It's been very much appreciated. We've learned a terrific lot. Um, yeah, I, I know that um, the knowledge of herbs won't be lost, not with people like you on the planet. And this is a good time to tell us again that, about your books and where to, where people can buy them
1: Great. the best place to find me is natural nurse all one word no space natural nurse.com and on that place radio shows i have thousands of them posted thousands <laughs> And they're all completely free because I've been doing radio and long before podcasts were invented, right? But I still do radio shows many hours every day, every week, and they're all posted live. They're also actually on the air, you know, but now they're also posted. Um, You can go to naturalnurse.com, look for books, articles, radio shows, classes. I spend a lot of time teaching people how they can use these remedies for themselves and their family. And also teaching people how they could do natural healing as their profession. Because a lot of people are unhappy with their work. And there's so many ways to get into natural as your profession. So that's something I spend a lot of time doing, career counseling. So I would love to hear from any of our listeners that were with us this evening and your listeners. And naturalnurse.com is the place to go. Or Facebook, The Natural Nurse also.
0: You're living proof, Ellen, of the health giving benefits of herbs because you're the you're the picture of health, a picture of energy. And what, what you're doing is um, is also just so amazing. So thank you once again for being on our show. Yeah, we'll
1: say, we'll we'll give herbs credit, but you know, if you saw my folks who are in their nineties running around, <laughs> I, have to, I have to change genes also.
0: You want to choose your parents carefully, even though you've chosen your ones very well. Thank you once again for your time, and thank you, everyone, for watching. Goodbye.